Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3, and in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Now, I need to reiterate a few points, pick it up from there, from where we left off, that is, and then go on somewhat further. In our teaching called the Hour of Decision. The Hour of Decision. Ezekiel chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 12. We will begin at these scriptures, but first I will reiterate a few points that we've made because, of course, we had our picnic last week. We did not continue our message. And for those of you who may be behind, we want to get you caught up. Ezekiel chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 12. My brother and my sister, do you sense the urgency of the hour? My brother and my sister, the day of the Lord is at hand. Amen. The day of the Lord is at hand. Glory to God. And that which we accomplish, we want to accomplish in the name of the Lord. And that what is to be done, we want to be done in the name of the Lord. And that which we set our hand to do, we want to be done in the name of the Lord. And that which we choose to pursue, we want to pursue in the name of the Lord. Glory to God. We want to set aside our own aspirations, our own desires, and our own wants, and closely pursue and follow the things that be of God. On July the 18th of this year, the more authoritative voice of the Lord came unto my spirit, saying, The hour is at hand throughout all the land that a decision must be made. And the witness came unto my spirit by perception of the spirit, saying, I want you to issue a warning both to the unrighteous and to the righteous. And thus far I've been obedient to do that very thing issuing, first of all, the warning unto the unrighteous, and that is that the storm of physical death cannot be escaped by any. No one will escape the storm of physical death. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So we'll not belabor that. We've talked about that. And then, of course, we begin to instruct or teach the righteous, and to give the warning also unto the righteous. And unto the righteous, of course, the same warning holds true. The storm of physical death will not be escaped by any should Jesus tarry. Should Jesus tarry, we will all have to suffer physical death. And after physical death, we will all be judged 
for the deeds that we have done within our physical body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. We will all and must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an oral discourse of that which we have done, whether it be good or evil, in our body. We began by saying in 2 Corinthians 5.21, you can write references down, don't turn to them, don't need to turn to them. We want to pick up with these scriptures here. By defining the righteous as being those who have been placed in right standing with the Father by virtue of the new birth. The scripture reads, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ, or in him. So in him we become righteous. The righteous are those who have been blood washed, born again, saved by his grace. We've said also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34 that the righteous sin not. The righteous sin not. The scripture says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15:34. See, there be those who are righteous who have the idea and the attitude that God is love and that God is all-forgiving and all-merciful and that He is. But they go on to say that because He is love and all-merciful and all-forgiving, He wouldn't send anybody to hell. He wouldn't send anybody to hell or He won't do anything that's going to hurt me. He won't allow that to happen to me. And there are those also who say that all past, all present, and all future sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus once you've been born again. Once you've become a child of God. Well, my brother and my sister, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that all scriptures given by inspiration of God for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness... And the word there in the Greek for correction means to restore things to their proper place or to correct false theories or practices. And these who believe that they can get by with sinning and still go to heaven, who can make a habitual practice of sin and still go to heaven, who can live in sin and still go to heaven because they've been born again, are those who are involved in false practices and false theories. And God is saying, by His Word, I want correction to come to the body of Christ. And so, it is my responsibility and duty as an under-shepherd of the Most High to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, skillfully with godly wisdom, to bring correction and to bring instruction and reproof to these false theories and false practices among the righteous. And I stand before you, as I said before, with the fear of the Lord, in godly, reverential fear before the Most High God, knowing that this assignment is not an easy one, not one to be envied, but it is, is a serious assignment given by the Master for the correction and restoration of right practices and theories within the body of Christ among the righteous. 
And we said, just like a surgeon uses his knife, we are to use the sword of the Spirit with godly wisdom and skillful use so as to cut away only the bad without causing irreparable damage to come to the good. As skillful as a surgeon may be, if he uses the knife improperly, he can cause irreparable damage to be wrought in vital organs of the body. And we don't want that to take place in the natural, and we certainly don't want that to take place in the supernatural. Because, you see, the heart of man is spiritual, a spiritual organ. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is sharp and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is alive, it is active, it is operative, it is energizing. And it must be used properly, skillfully, with godly wisdom. Otherwise, it can cause irreparable damage to come to the very heart, the vital spiritual organ of the believer. You say, how? Just by improper use and improper interpretation. Such as Romans 8, 28. We hear so many quoting that scripture saying all things work together for good. Plane crashes, car wrecks, and, and all kinds of tragedies work together for good. That's nonsense. That is unbiblical in its interpretation. You'll not find that in the Bible. But yet so many just take a scripture out of context and say that's what he's talking about. It didn't say in Romans chapter 8 anything about car wrecks or plane crashes or tragedies that happen to people as working together for good. The, the whole passage of Scripture in context is talking about the things of the Spirit. It's talking about the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. And what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh, God sending His Son in likeness sinful flesh condemned sin in the flesh. And as you go on reading throughout that passage of Scripture, right on through the, the whole chapter, you find out that he's talking about the groanings of the Spirit with inside the heart of the believer, making intercession for the saints according to the will of God so that God's will can be brought to pass upon the earth. And these things, the things of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, work together for our good because we love God, because we've been called according to His purpose. And because of those things, we are ever being changed into His glorious image and likeness, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's proper interpretation of that Scripture. Misuse of it can cause spiritual damage to come to the heart, which is the vital spiritual organ of the believer. And we've seen this happen because of the misuse of Scriptures along the lines of sin, as well as these other lines, as doctrinal error. And so it is, once again, my responsibility through skillful use of God's holy word, to cut out the bad without causing irreparable damage to come to the good. Amen. So I covet your prayers. Amen. I covet your prayers. Thirdly, we said, and this will bring us up to date, that we as the body of Christ claim to be headed toward a holy heaven to spend eternity in the presence of a holy God. Well, that's true. We claim that. But you see, we must recognize the fact that our God is a consuming fire that perfects the spirits of just men by consuming all the impurities and everything that is inconsistent with His divine nature, that is inconsistent with His righteousness from our lives. 
For you see, it is a fearful thing to be in the hands of the Lord, for our God is a consuming fire. And whenever anyone approaches the presence of that consuming fire, whether it be now or whether it be later, the fire of His holiness will consume anything and everything that is not consistent, that is inconsistent with His righteousness and holiness. And we said this, my beloved brothers and sisters, that it will happen either now or then. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible said that all works will be tried as of a fire, whether they be gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. And that means this. If the things that we pursued, if the things that we have done, that the things that we've endeavored to do in the houses that we've endeavored to build for the Lord God Almighty, if all of our pursuits were done through improper motives, attitudes, and desires of the heart, then we have built upon the foundation of Christ wood, hay, and stubble. And God did not build the house, but man built the house. And they that built it labored in vain. And when it stands the test of fire and is tried by the consuming fire of the holiness of the living God, it will all be burned up. The person shall be saved as of by works, but his works, see, that is the working of the Spirit in his heart. He'll be saved. But by the, the works that he has done, they'll be burned up. There shall be no reward. Now, we said we can avert that. We can prevent that from happening in our lives. How? By confronting the holiness of God now. By humbling ourselves through genuine humility and true repentance. And coming for the Most High Father God. Looking into His glory and His holiness. Standing in His presence and saying, Father, consume the chaff and burn it up. Anything that is of an improper attitude, motive, or desire in my life. Burn it up by the consuming fire of your holiness, Father God. See, if we do it now, my brother and my sister, then in that great day when we stand before the judgment seat, our work shall be tried as of a fire, but they shall be found pure as fine gold. Hallelujah. Glory to our God. Can you say amen? And he'll say, enter into the joy of the Lord. And great shall be the reward thereof. To give you a better illustration, Jesus said, if you give alms to be seen of men, truly you have your reward here upon the earth. There shall be no reward for you in heaven. But if you give, letting your right hand know what your left hand know what your right hand is doing, if you do it that way, great shall be your reward. Your Father shall reward you openly, and there shall be treasures for you stored up in heaven. Amen. So you see, it's not whether or not you gave. It's not whether or not you did. It is the attitude, the motive, and the desire of the heart that determines whether it's wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. Oh, glory to God. We went on to conclude my reiteration of what we talked about, that it is our responsibility and duty, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Just write it down if you're taking notes. That having these precious promises, we cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting or being matured in the holiness of God 
which is our responsibility and duty as a service unto God. Amen. I want to pick it up from there in Ezekiel chapter 3. But before we do, let's pray. Our Father, much was just said. Would to God that by your Spirit hearts would be so open and receptive in minds would be channeled properly in ears would be anointed to hear what the Spirit of the Lord hath to say at this hour. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I thank you for watching over your word to perform it, and I thank you that it shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which you please. And not one heart shall leave this place unchanged because of being in thy most holy presence. In Jesus' name, amen. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 20. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin. His righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn or notify in advance the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live. Because he is warned also, thou hast delivered thy soul. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away. Underline, if you have not already, turn away. Ezekiel said, turn from his righteousness. Hebrews 12, 25 says, if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven, and this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. I know he's talking about the consummation of all things, but he's spoken unto my heart, and it said unto me that there is a shaking that's going on within the body of Christ even at this hour, a shaking of things that can and will be removed, such as wood, hay, and stubble, such as man building his own temple, Desiring to build his own house. Desiring to do his own thing in life and ministry. And not waiting upon the Lord God Almighty to see what his ministry would be for them. For those in public ministry who are building their own houses. Doing their own thing. For those who are caught up in emotionalism. And are not leaning more heavily upon spirituality. There has come a shaking of the Spirit of God as it shook them that were assembled together back in Acts 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the Word of God boldly or with boldness. And that anointing caused the multitude to be of one heart and of one mind. And neither of them said, any of them said that what they possessed belonged to them. 
but there was great power and great grace to give witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ upon them. And there was great godly reverential fear in the midst of them because they knew that God was not only a God of mercy, love, and forgiveness, but also a God of judgment and justice. Amen. So to those that would say our God is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness, they are partially right. Yes, that is a truth, but it's only a partial truth. He is also a God of justice and a God of judgment. And He is just as much obligated to allow the curse to come upon us for disobedience as He is allowed to allow blessings to come upon us for obedience. And He is saying unto the righteous that the righteous must be shaken in their thinking. And they must begin to respond once again to the holiness of God, to the righteousness of God, and begin to walk before God with godly fear and reverential fear, which is the beginning of wisdom, that they may truly be wise, that they truly may walk before Him well-pleasing in His sight. To those who would say that all of our sins, whether they be past, present, and future, are forgiven in Christ, they speak only a half-truth. For you see, future sins are only forgiven if they are confessed and forsaken. Amen. It is not automatic. And the things of God, the benefits and the promises of God are not, never will be automatic. No, for man will never take away from, for God will never take away from man free will and moral agency. And if one would choose to willfully walk away from the righteousness of God to live a life of iniquity and sin, then they may choose to do so, but suffer the consequence thereof. Amen. So we want to look at some different classes of people among the righteous. Let's put it this way, attitudes among the righteous. Number one, there is the willful sinner or the willful offender. We want to discuss him. There is also, number two, the neglector. There is also, number three, the rejecter. And there is also, number four, the abuser or the misuser of the things of God. You say, my, this sounds harsh. My brother and my sister, our God is truly a consuming fire. My brother and my sister, God our Heavenly Father is a holy God. And He said that we should be holy before Him. My brother and my sister, we have longed for and desired to have the great move of God among us and within our midst, a restoration of the things that were so predominant within the early church, the things that existed then, that my goodness, not only should they have existed then, but they should exist now, and we should go further in those things, deeper in those things, because of the revelation that we have in Him. But you see, the Bible says that the only way we're going to see God move is by having purity within our hearts and within our lives. That means that God would have to do a work within the hearts and lives of people to remove things that can be shaken, to remove impurities of the heart, which means improper attitudes, improper motives, and improper desires. And unless and until those desires and attitudes of the heart become pure before the fire of His holiness, our Father God is limited in how He can bless His children. And so although it may seem harsh, I say it with human sorrow. It grieves me in, in, hum, in a human way to have to speak so harshly. 
But my brother Ed and my sister, as the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, it moved him and grieved him to have to speak so harshly. But because it moved them to godly sorrow, which was true repentance, he says, I did it in the name of the Lord to produce positive results. And so you see, he did not repent for doing it because of the results that were produced. And so, my brother and sister, let us begin. And let's take a look at the willful offender. Notice the expression here, turn away, in Hebrews 12, 25. If we turn away. Notice also the expression back in Ezekiel that said, if you turn from your righteousness. In the Greek, this word right here, turn away, is A-P-O-S-T-R-E-P-H-O. It means to turn oneself away from. To turn oneself away from. It would indicate by both scriptures that a person who is righteous can, as an act of his or her own will, turn himself or turn herself away from the righteousness of God or the righteousness that God has accounted to them. It is possible... And I want us to be understood. It is possible for any individual person within the body of Christ who has become the righteousness of God in Christ to choose willfully to turn from his righteousness to commit iniquity. That is a possibility. One can do it if he chooses to do so. So we'll define the willful offender as one who willfully turns away from the instructional teachings of God's Word to pursue a life of self-gratification to pursue a life of self-gratification and one who says from his heart that my Lord delayeth his coming one who says from his heart that vital organ that vital spiritual organ that my Lord delayeth his coming and begins to fellowship with the world and establish his own standards of righteousness. The willful offender is one who willfully turns himself away from the instructional teachings of God's Word to pursue a life of self-gratification, who begins fellowshipping then with the world who begins fellowshipping with the world and establishing his or her own standards of righteousness. Now, I want you to notice in the book of Hebrews two openings, chapter 6 and also chapter 10. So you're nearby. Just go ahead and look at these scriptures. They're close by. In Hebrews chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. You know, when you're driving down a highway, and you're going a long distance, and you've got your road map out, and you've got the plan already mapped out, you know exactly which, which route you're going to take to get you to your destination, it's important that you stay on the right road, isn't it? Because if you just veer off to the left or to the right just a little bit and take another route, it can take you many, many, many miles out of your way. In other words, you can turn away from the main course that you were taking. 
Every born-again believer has been placed on the course of righteousness by virtue of the new birth. But you see, it is our duty and responsibility to stay on the right course. If we turn away to the left or turn away to the right and get on another course, a course pursuing self-gratification, a course pursuing fellowship with the world, a course pursuing involvement in iniquity, then we as an act of our will have gotten off the main course that God has designed and blueprinted for our lives. Here the instruction is, we are to stay on the right course and go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, we've already done that. In a faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, this will do if God permit. For Now notice, notice verse 4, why should we do that? Because it's impossible for those who, number one, once enlightened, that means they've been convicted. They've heard the gospel and they've been convicted. Number two, tasted of the heavenly gift. Who's the heavenly gift? Who? Jesus Christ. Taste and see the Lord is good. The only way to taste the heavenly gift is to be born again. Tasted of the heavenly gift. Number three, we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That means being spirit-filled with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Number four, and have tasted the good of God. They're no longer babes on milk, but they've learned to discern between good and evil, and they've tasted that the good word of God enables them to grow in spiritual development and maturity. And fifthly, we're made partakers and powers of the world to come. Notice in verse 5, and of the powers, they've tasted of the good word of God, and the powers, the powers, that's talking about the manifestations of the Spirit, the demonstrations of the Spirit, the power gifts of the Spirit. These are not talking about born, just newborn babes in Christ. This scripture is referring to those who left the foundational principles of Christ and then began to move out in the Word of God and began to move out in the power gifts of the Spirit and they became accustomed to the things of the Spirit of God and the Word of God and they were walking with God and were deeply involved in spiritual matters. The Scripture said, it is impossible in verse 4 for those, now go on down to verse 6, if they shall, now I want you to notice this word here, everybody say fall. Everybody say fall. Say it again, fall. Fall away. It didn't say turn. It said fall. Do you see that? You can turn away and go in the wrong direction. And if the bridge is out, you're not going to fall until you get there. But if it's down the road a ways and you continue on that road and don't stop going that, in that direction, then eventually you will fall. And when one falls, notice what the Scripture said. It is impossible to renew that person to repentance. If they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For those who think that it's impossible to lose their salvation, for those who believe that once saved, always saved, they need to take heed to what God is saying by His Word. He's not talking about somebody who doesn't have something. 
You can't be made a partaker of the Holy Ghost, a partaker of the powers of, of the world to come, without partaking of divine things. He says, if they shall fall away, not turn away. Now, there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. When one turns away, he breaks fellowship. When one falls away, he breaks relationship. And when relationship is broken, there's no more repentance. Now, that you better write down because there's some nuggets right there. When one turns away, he breaks fellowship. When one falls away, he has fallen from grace. Just like falling off a bridge, there's no way to renew that person to repentance. That's the unpardonable sin. That's a sin unto death. And we need to be mature enough spiritually to understand that. There is a sin unto death. I say that you not pray for it. So we will begin here by dealing with the willful offender. Now, if you're not the willful offender, you say, I'm a carnal Christian, having a problem crucifying, mortifying the deeds of my flesh. We're not talking to you yet. We'll get to you. We won't let you escape. We won't let you off the hook. But we are talking to and referring to the willful offender. Look at Hebrews 10, 26 with me, if you will, please. For if we sin, how? Should everybody say it out? If we sin, how? How? If we sin under the pressure of circumstances... Is that what it said? If we sin under the pressure of circumstances. Is that what it says? No. It didn't say that, did it? It said if we sin willfully. If we sin willfully. After that we have come to the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Do you know what happens to an individual when there's no more sacrifice for sins? Huh? It means the only thing that's left is judgment. Look at the next verse. But a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. I thought God's merciful. It said they died without mercy. You know you can die without mercy? You don't want to die without mercy, my brother, sister, because without the mercy of God, people are what? Consumed. Consumed. They died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment Suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was what? He was what? That means set apart unto God. Sanctified means set apart unto God. In other words, he was washed in the blood. He was washed in the blood of the Lamb. He was set apart unto God by virtue of the new birth, being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now notice, how much more sore punishment shall suppose ye shall he be thought worthy of who hath trod underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I'll recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. 
It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call, now notice, to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. See, the believers in the warfare, the believers in a fight, the devil is not going to give up. He still wants to send you to hell with him. And if a person doesn't believe that, they are deluded. I said they are deluded. Or they're not honest. The devil's ultimate goal is to send people to hell. Some people in church don't like to talk about hell. Jesus talked about hell more than anything, more than heaven. Why? Because he wanted people to escape it. That's why. He didn't want anybody to go there. That's why. But you see, with these attitudes, with these false theories and false practices existing among the body of Christ today, many, many are out there living in sin willfully because they have the idea, the deluded idea, that it doesn't matter what they do once they've been born again. Once they've been born again, they can commit adultery. Once they've been born again, they could be a homosexual if they want to. God made them that way. And all these theories and practices are out there in, in the church world, my brother and sister. But you see, we've got to rise up in the holiness of God and boldly proclaim the Word of God. And we've got to let them know that those practices will never enable someone to get into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter whether you've been born again or not. If you've been born again, then walk in righteousness. And I'll show you a scripture that proves that your future sins are only forgiven if confessed. And that's this. If you walk in the light, it sees in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all present sin. Amen. But, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we don't sin or have sin, then we lie and the truth is not in us. He is the propitiation of our sins. And this was written that you sin not. Not that you believe that your future sins are forgiven in Christ, but that you sin not. And let love cover and prevent the multitude of sins. Amen. By walking in the love of God. Now notice verse 33. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence. That's talking about your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. My brother and my sister, you mark it in your Bible. Cast not away your confidence or your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, which has a great recompense of reward. You have need of patience. Why? To endure the afflictions that are coming upon you, so that after you have done the will of God, which is coming to Jesus, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that come, shall come uh, will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man, now notice, draw back, turn away, Draw back. You can't turn away from something or from a course that you've not been on. You can't draw back from something that you've not been involved in. Do you see that? That's what we call a backslider. And really that term is not used in the New Testament. It's really someone who's not walking in the light. 
If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back. Note this, my brother and sister. A turning away and a drawing back will eventually lead into a falling away. A turning away and a drawing back will eventually lead into a falling away. But you see, there's still time for repentance until one has actually fallen away. They may be turned away. They may be pursuing a life of sin, iniquity. But if they'll repent and come back to God and get on the course of righteousness once again, they'll be accepted of God, by God. God's mercy be upon them. Mercy always precedes judgment. But my brother and sister, we're talking about the hour of decision. There does come a point in a person's life when a decision must be made because they're ever getting so close to the bridge that's out, so close to the falling away that they must decide and choose the right way to go and come back and get on the right course or be eternally lost. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Look at verse 39 again. We are not of them who draw back unto, everyone say perdition. The word perdition in the Greek is used seven times in the New Testament. Actually, seven times in the Bible, the word perdition you'll find. And it means to fully destroy. It means damnable. It means destruction, ruin, loss, physically, spiritually, and eternally. And every time the word is used in connection, it is with those in the Bible, it is always used in connection with those who are eternally lost. Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. The one who turned away from pursuing the plan and purpose of God to do his own thing. The one who will come is also called, that is the Antichrist, the son of what? Perdition. The one of ruin. The one of eternal destruction. The one of eternal damnation. We are not those who draw back. We're not numbered among those who've been born again who turn away or draw back unto perdition. What is there to draw back unto? It's not heaven. There's only two courses to take in life, my brother and sister. It's the course that leads to heaven or it's the course that leads to eternal separation from God. There are no other courses. There are no other choices. There are no in-betweens. There's no place called limbo. There's a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun. And the righteous need to know this message. The righteous sin not. Because sin and its trend has always been and always will be downward. It is never upward. You go back from the beginning and the origin of sin in Lucifer and find out that Lucifer was a perfect being. You say someone who's perfect cannot fall. My goodness, my goodness, how silly can we be? If someone who is perfect and right standing with God cannot fall, then Lucifer should not have fallen. But although he was created perfect in the sight of the Lord, the Bible says that iniquity was found within his heart and the trend of iniquity was always downward and he fell from the presence of God. It never leads upward. It always leads downward. 
Although he said, I'll raise my throne high above the stars, high above the throne of God, I'll be like the Most High God. That's the ambition of self-gratification. But my brother and sister, the Father said, No, thou shalt be brought down. The trend of sin is always down. If one cannot fall from a perfect state, although the angels of God were created perfect before God, they chose to follow, willfully chose to follow Lucifer, and they fell from their glorious estate, the Bible says. They left that estate, and they fell, took upon themselves perdition, whose end is destruction. If one cannot fall from a perfect state of being, consider Adam when he was created by God in a perfect state, a perfect human specimen with life in abundance. And God's design plan for them was to have life eternally without ever experiencing death. Yet, because he chose to rebel against the plan of God willfully, a willful offender, he willfully chose to rebel against God's most holy plan. The Bible says he fell a great fall and was subject to spiritual death. The trend of sin has always been and always will be downward. It has caused the fall of great nations. It has caused the fall of great kings. It has caused the fall of great statesmen. And my brother and my sister, do not be deluded. Do not be deceived. It will also cause a great fall in the life of any child of God who will live in iniquity. And it doesn't matter what they believe. It'll happen regardless. We are not those that draw back unto perdition. We're among those that believe in the saving of the soul. And we go on. Although affliction may come, greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Fear him not that can destroy just your body. But fear the one that can allow your body and soul to be cast in the lake of fire. Second Peter, chapter 2. Every time that word perdition is used in the Bible, it is always used in connection with those who are eternally lost. Paul was not writing to non-believers in Hebrews. He was writing unto those who have been born again. But he was also writing to those who turned away from righteousness and begin to go back into Judaism, willfully renouncing the blood of Jesus, willfully turning their back and drawing back from their faith. And Paul said they turned back into perdition. Why? Because outside of Christ there are no more sacrifice for sins. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Oh my goodness. For if God spare not the angels that sin, cast them down to hell. Oh my. Why aren't eyes open? Cast them down to hell and deliver them in the chains of darkness to be reserved in the judgment. And spare not the old world, but save Noah. In verse 6, turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Verse 7, deliver just Lot. 
For that righteous man, in verse 8, dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation to preserve the unjust of the day of judgment to be punished. But now go on down to verse 15, notice this. Which have forsaken the right way. The word forsaken means to abandon. Which have forsaken the right way. He's talking about those who forsake the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of what? If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity or unrighteousness, he shall die in his sin lest he turn back. But now notice, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, underline it, to turn to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. My, 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 my. He said they've turned from their righteousness to commit iniquity. It's not that they didn't know the way. It's not that they weren't walking in the way. They began to draw back. They turned from their righteousness to live in iniquity, to live in sin once again. That which they've been delivered from. They have escaped that. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, very quickly. We're going to have to do it quick. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly... This is the willful sinner. They willingly are ignorant of that by the Word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved in the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word. Everybody say us word. Say, that's me. Not willing. Now, notice, He's not willing that how many should perish? He's not writing to sinners. I said he's not writing to sinners. He's not willing that any us were. Perish. But that all should come to what? Repentance. What's he talking about? It's impossible for those who fall away to be renewed to repentance. So, to those who have turned away 
for those who have drawn back, those who are on the path to destruction because they've turned away from righteousness, they're on the course of perdition, to those, he is saying, they've got to come back and be renewed to, to repentance before they fall away. Do you see that? Before they fall away. Because if they fall away, if they fall off the cliff, if they fall off the bridge, if they have fallen away from Christ, then it's impossible to renew them back to repentance again. Because there's no more sacrifice for sins. Because they counted the blood of Jesus an unholy thing. And have done despite the spirit of grace. And you know what? The only way those who fall away from Christ in this life can ever be renewed to repentance would be if Jesus Christ himself be incarnate again, come back down to this earth as the incarnate one again, and die again for that person's sin. Do you think Jesus is going to do that again? I said, do you think he'll do that again? No, he will not. We've got to go back to verse 5. They are willingly ignorant. The willful sinner is willingly ignorant of the trend of sin. They are willingly ignorant of the fact. Now, if you've got time, I tell you, what, I'm just going to just narrate this to you, but there's not time to, to, to do as much as I want to do. So just close your Bibles and listen, give me your attention. Talk about the, the, he's talking about the first judgment of the earth. They are willingly ignorant of what took place in the beginning of time. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it talks about, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, void, and without form. And God moved by a spirit upon the face of the deep. The waters were upon the face of the earth. Remember that? Peter's not talking about Noah's flood here. He's talking about the fact that there was at one time a pre-Adamite age here upon this earth. When Lucifer reigned here upon this earth. He's talking about the fact that at that particular time, when the nations were here upon this earth, whatever nations of whatever you want to call them is okay because we've only got a little bit of light. A certain amount of light that we have concerning that pre-Adamite age. There was a race of something down here upon this earth where Lucifer was in charge. And that's why he says, I'm going to exalt my kingdom high above yours. He won't exalt above the throne of God. He said, but they are willingly ignorant of the fact that God didn't allow that world order to go the way it, he, it wanted to go, the way Lucifer wanted to go. They're willingly ignorant of the fact that that cosmos, that world system, at that time was destroyed by water. A great flood came upon the face of the earth. And that's why in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, that wasn't the creation of the world. That was the recreation of what God created in the beginning. And that's why God moved upon the face of the earth by His Spirit because of the waters that were upon the face of the earth because of the judgment that came upon those who were upon this earth who chose to willfully follow Lucifer and do his thing. And that's where we get our demon spirits from. That's why there are disembodied spirits here upon the face of this earth right now who have access to the earth, who try to get access into your body so they can manifest themselves through you and through me. That's why they want to inhabit you and me. And he's saying they are willingly ignorant of the fact that God judged them and because he found them to be guilty of living in unrighteousness and iniquity and pursuing that which is apart from his plan and purposes, that judgment came upon them and that cosmos or that age, that world system that then was perished and there was water upon the face of the deep. And then when God came then in Genesis 1 once and moved upon the face of the, of the deep by his spirit, he spoke the word and said, let there be. And then he said, let us create man in his own image like this. And he said to man, replenish, replenish. Do it again. Replenish the earth again. Replenish means to plenish again the earth. That's why our scientists can go way, way back over there and discover that the earth is older than 6,000 years. Do you understand that? When I notice, he is saying that they are willingly ignorant that God did it then. 
But you see, then he only shook the earth. But this time, in this judgment, he's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. And it's not going to be judged as of by water. It's going to be judged as by the fire of God's holiness. And they are willfully ignorant of the fact that God cannot and will not allow iniquity to be in His presence. And if they continue in willful sin and do not turn back, that's what repentance means. If they do not repent and turn back and come back to God and once again submit themselves, subject themselves, humble themselves to the instructional teaching of His Word, setting aside their standards of righteousness and living by the standards of God's righteousness, living by God's standard of holiness, living in harmony with God's plan, if they don't turn back and do that, then they are in danger of falling away. And that is a willful act where they no longer then can possibly come back to repentance and be saved. That is an impossibility. as a sin unto death. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.